Thank you for downloading our podcast. Please be edified through this sermon from our pulpit supply while Pastor Paul Lindemulder enjoys a week off. It is great to be back after four years. Uh, I bring you greetings from Darlene, uh, Anya, Han, and Selen, and Ella. Uh, you met three of my kids and my wife four years ago, um, and Ella was not with me. She was either in Germany or Lithuania. Uh, she's now studying in Cyprus, uh, but she's with me now. Darlene is visiting uh, her mom in Washington State. Um, I also bring you greetings from um, the church in Smyrna. Um, We are baptizing more Muslim adults who come to know Christ as their uh, Lord and Savior. Uh, And his church is maturing and and growing. Um, Today... um, uh, I'm preaching a sermon I preached in Turkey in the Turkish language to our Muslim converts at our church. Um, people are offended with the message of the gospel. Whenever we talk about Christ crucified in in Turkey, Muslims don't want to hear that. They do not believe that Jesus is crucified. They believe that someone else went to the cross in his place. But if we do not preach uh, the scriptures as it is, they do not uh, convert. We cannot come up with our own methods. I think the best method is preaching the gospel as is. Um, There's um, how to evangelize the Muslim notes that I left on the table outside. Please uh, pick one. One of of them says, the message of the gospel offends Muslims. It is okay. Don't worry. God will take care of the hearer. It is his message. Muslims will not convert to Christ if they're not offended by the message of the gospel. Offend them by being very clear about the teachings of Christ. And if you meet Muslims, do not um, water down the message. Just Preach Christ uh, as uh, you know it from the Gospels. And I usually start by saying, Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ in Smyrna, or in Montana, or in England, or in Germany, wherever we are, we are the beloved congregation Um, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Passover has been kept, and the Lord saved his people that night while judging their enemies, which were his enemies. The sea has been split in two, and the multitudes crossed on dry ground, but their enemies were drowned in in judgment. Now, the Lord has just performed his most mighty sign and wonder, and things now seem to be at a high point with Israel, as we read in um, chapter 14, verse 31. It says, So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Yet, our text here speaks of another judgment, that of Israel against the Lord. 
Their downright rebellion against the Lord who had just saved them is evidenced as they put the Lord uh, on trial in the wilderness of sin. Now, in, in the first three verses, we see Israel's charge against the Lord. Now, what were the events that led up to Israel's charge against the Lord? Um, what evidence did they bring for, forward? Now, geographically, Israel continues to move deeper and deeper into the wilderness of sin, as verse 1 says, that they came to a place called Rephidim. Now, as they move into the wilderness, keep in mind the amount of time that has passed in our narrative. Now, we can, we can so easily read through the story here and think one chapter is one day and, and the next chapter is the next day and so on. But it's really not so. Um, chapter 16, one says that they made it to Elim in the second month on the 15th day. Now, if you go, go back to chapter 12, you'll see uh, that Passover occurred in the first month on the 10th day. So chapter 16 was 35 days after the Passover. Now in chapter 17, the Israelites have moved from Elim in stages, um, uh, probably um, tribe by tribe, um, and they took turns as they moved. So uh, conservatively speaking, chapter 17 is at least several more days beyond chapter 16. The point being, they've been wandering for over a month and a half. Month and a half, 45 days. Now that's a long time when you don't have sufficient food and water, um, <clears throat> uh, especially when you're in the desert. We were in Tucson uh, for almost a month, dropping um, our son Han off. Um, and we thought, well, let's just go out and hike in the middle of the day. Don't do that. Um, we didn't know, so, and we had no water. And we were, um, we just went in about half an hour, and we realized we can't, we can't go any further. Uh, we have to go back. Uh, we needed water just in the first half hour. Now, um, a couple of years ago, some of our college students in, in our city of Izmir, Izmir, Turkey, wanted to go out on a hike, on a six-hour hike going up a peak and then six hours back. Uh, and Turkey gets hot. It's, uh, it's not like Tucson, but it does get hot. Uh, and usually in the summer, it's in the mid-90s where, where we live. Um, and, and I told them, okay, we're, we're going to do it. Everybody should bring at least three liters of water. I don't know what three liters is in uh, the American measurements, um, uh, but it's, it's enough. So, but people came with um, half a liter, like one small bottle um, of water. Our kids, we made sure that they should just have three liters in their backpacks, and we started hiking. Uh, in the first hour, they finished their water, and then they started uh, drinking our water, and well, we were drinking that, and we ran out of water in about six hours. And we trusted our iPhones to show us the way. Uh, we should have had compass, but we, we got lost. We, we got lost in the forest, in the mountain. We didn't see any civilization. We needed to get back, uh, and there was, um, it, 
it's within hours there was uh, rebellion, rebellion among um, uh, our college students and, and some people who followed them. Um, now, th this is not a small group in the desert. Um, we are talking about two million people traveling in the wilderness uh, with their livestock. Imagine, it's not just um, two million people. You, you, they have their uh, sheep, they have their cattle, they have their um, donkeys, mules. They drink, they need water. I should have some water here. We all need water, and they um, were, were rebelling. And so it was. There was no water for people to drink. The same thing, went, um, the same thing they ran out uh, way back when. That's why um, chapter 15, verses 20 to 27, the Lord has to heal the waters of Mara to make them drinkable. So... Um, and so verse 2 says, therefore the people quarreled with Moses, give us water to drink. Here we go again, Moses. First, we came to a bitter spring, then had no bread and no meat to eat. Now we've run out of water again. How long can we survive like this? Now keep your eyes on that word in verse 2, quarreled. Um, now, this is not a strong enough word. Um, in English, it, it means that they were just complaining, having a verbal war of wars, um, war of words, or some sort of spat. They were arguing. Uh, that's the kind of meaning that it gives us. But this word is much stronger than just quarreling. Um, the word used here is the Hebrew word riv. Um, which is a legal term in the Old Testament. Israel brought a formal charge, um, a lawsuit, if you will, against Moses. A lawsuit against Moses. Um, so the effect of what they are doing here is to say, Moses, we charge you with willful neglect and unlawful endangerment of an entire nation. Notice Moses rebuts the charges. He says, in effect, your lawsuit is not against me, but against the Lord. Notice how verse 7 describes the entire situation as a summary, uh, as a summary of events. And he, Moses, called the name of the place uh, Massa and Meribah because, the, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. And because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, this is exactly what they did at Elim in chapter 16 when they had no food. And they, they cried out, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Now, friends, grass is always greener um, somewhere else where God has not led us. This is extremely difficult to resist because of our natural tendency to sin and doubt where, where God has put us in, um, in life. Yet, one of, the things in, um, one of the things chapter 17 is calling us to is a life of faith and a life of contentment in the providence of God in our day-to-day -day lives. Of course, you say, 
Uh, well, we all agree with that, uh, but where is that in this text? Um, turn with me to Deuteronomy 8, and there we learn about the Lord's purpose in doing what he did in the wilderness with his people, with, with Israel. And it's, uh, it says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you for 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what, what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lived by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So the irony is, while Israel is uh, putting Yahweh on trial in this wilderness, Yahweh himself is really putting them on trial to, to test them, to prove them, to see if they would be his people. Now, the trial begins in uh, verses verse 4, 5, and 6. Uh, the Lord tells Moses in verse 5 to pass before Israel uh, with some of the elders uh, uh, with the, uh, and with the staff uh, Moses struck the Nile with in his, in his hand. Now that rod that Moses had, had was a rod of judgment used to execute God's judgments upon Egypt. And the elders come with Moses before the people. Now I want you to uh, picture this. I want you to imagine this. Draw this in your mind. Uh, the people are sitting uh, or standing. There are two million people um, uh, and they're right um, in a desert. They're so thirsty. They're so hungry. Uh, but they're judging Yahweh. They're bringing a formal charge against Moses. And, and the Lord is calling Moses with this rod of judgment in front of people and the elders as witnesses uh, and coming right next to Moses. And so this means Moses is about to judge the people of Israel. And the elders come with Moses before the people. So here's Moses, the judge, and the elders, the witnesses, about to testify against Israel uh, and execute the judgment of God upon them because they had become as Egypt. That rod was used against Egypt. Now this rod was about to be used against Israel. It's as if the Lord is saying... I protected you from the angel of death. I saved you from certain death through the sea. I turned bitter waters into a spring. I gave you enough bread and meat to satisfy you forever. Enough. You are not my people, but you are my enemy. So the Lord says, this Hebrew word, hini, which means behold, um, when you walk into, well, when uh, anyone served in U.S. military here? Any military? When an officer walks in to a room, what do you say? Attention. Like, there's a way of saying attention, right? I've only seen it in um, um, some war movies. Officer walks in and somebody says attention. 
Well, you guys say it better. I can't, I can't say it. It's like, tension. doesn't even sound like attention, but everybody, there's a silence. This officer is about to say something very important, or we'll say, at ease. You know, continue drinking your coffee or eating your whatever you're eating or whatever uh, you're doing. But um, here, we're hearing something similar, hini. Uh, <clears throat> so in the Turkish army, when, when this word is heard, and, and the way we say it is dikat, uh, or uh, when an officer walks in, we say dikat, and there's silence, and everybody has to listen. Um, um, and whenever we hear this word in scripture, we need to take notice. God is about to say or do something very important. Um, now, verse 6 says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. Now, do you see what the Lord is doing when he says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. Moses and the elders were supposed to stand before the people. You know, when I ask you to picture this, people are right here. And Moses is here with the elders. And uh, God is saying, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. Uh, which means <clears throat> the uh, people would be standing before, uh, before Moses. The Lord now is placing himself where Israel was, between Israel and between Moses. He's substituting himself for them. Can you see where this is going? And notice, uh, notice also that the Lord says, I will stand before you there on the rock. Now, let us pause for a moment here and think about this. Whenever the Lord has appear, appeared in, in, in our great drama till here from Genesis, Genesis 1 until Exodus 17, um, whether as smoke and fire to Abraham, as the angel of the Lord to Jacob, as a burning bush to Moses, and the pillar of cloud fire to Israel, it is always in a visible, glorious, majestic way. Yet here, um, we're not told how he appeared. And this is intentional. Uh, if the Lord was there on the rock as fire or cloud, um, it would say so. Now, so uh, what does it mean that the Lord would stand on the rock? To get an answer, turn to uh, Deuteronomy again, this time to chapter 32. Uh, this is Moses' song as he catechizes Israel before his death and uh, their entrance, before their entrance into the land. And notice also how he describes the Lord. Uh, I will be reading from different <clears throat> verses, verse 4, 15, 18, 30, and 31. It says, the rock, his work is perfect. Israel scoffed at the rock of his salvation. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you. How could one have chased a thousand and, <clears throat> and two have put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them? 
for their rock, for their rock is not as our rock. It's not that the Lord appeared, appeared um, as a theophany uh, in, uh, in, in some glorious and magnificent way, but that he humbled himself and identified himself with a lowly rock. Um, the rock was the visible way he appeared to them. Um, he was there, and, uh, and he appeared to them um, as the rock. Uh, this is why Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 4 says, And the rock was Christ. Now, it is sacramental language. This means that God often unites his promise to a visible sign in such a close way that the sign is spoken of as, as if uh, it were the promised thing itself. Jesus called the bread his body and, and the wine his blood. Jesus calls the water of baptism the washing away of sins and waters of regeneration. And when we get married, we put the ring on our loved one's finger and say, uh, with this ring, I thee wed. So the Lord stood before Moses, the, the, the judge, with his rod of punishment. And the elders uh, were also there. He also stood before the elders who were to testify against Israel. And he stood on the rock. And <clears throat> so the, the Lord uh, commanded Moses. <clears throat> now Moses understood what this command meant. Um, he understood Hebrew really well. And he also understood who that rock was, what that rock was about. Vehikita um, Hatsur uh, in Hebrew, and you shall strike the rock in verse 6. You shall strike the rock. I wonder what Moses thought when he heard that you shall strike me. You shall strike the rock. Now, execute the judgment Israel deserves on the rock upon which I stand. The Lord bore Israel's punishment. He substituted himself for them. Israel should have received this punishment, but the Lord takes upon himself the place of the guilty victim and receives the judgment. There in the wilderness, in a mysterious, shadowy way, God our Father punished his Son foreshadowing the work of our Lord, who humbled himself and became a human as us, stooping down and identifying himself with us, with us helpless sinners in order to receive the rod of God's judgment against our sins. And because God's justice was satisfied, his mercy, his mercy literally poured forth in the form of water, in the wilderness. And the people drank. Those thirsty people, they came to the rock and they drank from the rock and they drank and they drank and they were satisfied. And the people drank and were satisfied. The people drank because they were saved. 
People drank because they were saved, and so it was. What our Lord was punished with the, with the rod of God's justice, that he was stabbed with a spear as he hung on the cross, and blood and water came out. Jesus spoke about that water which satisfies our deepest longing when he said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believe in him were, were to receive. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for subscribing and listening to our podcast. We hope and pray that our sermons encourage you as you sojourn on your Christian walk. If you have any questions about our church, please contact our pastor through our webpage, urcbelgrade.com. That is urcbelgrade.com. We also have many sermon series archived and available for download on our website, urcbelgrade.com. Until we meet again, may the Lord's blessing and peace be upon you.